Welcome back, guys. This is The Wandering Sun, episode three. Episode three. And today I have Ed Spence in the building today. And just to get, to give you guys a quick insight of who this incredible man is, um, Ed Spence is the manager of the largest keyboard and synth department in the United States at Chuck Levin's. He has built music studios for uh, many people in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and probably other areas. He's worked and is friends with uh, some artists like Stevie Wonder, Timbaland, Genuine, and and I'm sure the list extends way longer. I mean, you're obviously a man of, of God, which wow. is what this whole thing is about. Um, but is, is there anything any anything that I'm missing there? Well, I'm married for 35 years. I yeah. have uh, two children, a 17-year-old, going to be 18 in October, and a 27-year-old daughter and two grandsons. But I'm so young, so I call them my nephews. Yeah. So um, I have two grandsons. One is four and one is uh, 10. Yep. Big family. Yeah. One thing that with, with The Wandering Sun, one thing that I really want to do in this podcast and that I, I've been doing and I want to continue to do is really talk about testimony. I think a lot of the times, and I've mentioned this before, a lot of the times we try to paint this perfect picture as 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 Christians or as just humans, right, of where we're currently at. And I really like to go back to the core of where we were and how we were able to get to where we're at. So what's your testimony, man? I know you um, you just told me, actually, that you grew up in the church. That was something I never asked you. Was that What's that testimony of you coming to really know and have that relationship with Jesus? Uh, well, I grew up in a Pentecostal church in New York City. The church was located in Brooklyn, Sackman Street, Brooklyn, New York, a little small church. And it was old school church, you know, like they prayed forever. They they would cast demons out. I've seen people scrolling on the floor. I've heard voices coming out of women that a woman can't normally make. And wow. I've seen I've seen those things. And during the process of watching these things and my parents watching their lives, uh, even though I was in church, I really wasn't saved most, you know, at the time I was just a kid and then just growing up, sang in a choir, traveled. And at some point I wanted to see if this was real for me. And I remember one distinct time in my life where I I was fighting between my outside friends, you know, just the community, the peer pressure, you know, because I, I wasn't a cursor. I wasn't, I didn't do any things that all these everyone else did. And I just had a moment where I wanted to curse and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do everything they did. So I remember really, how old were you? I don't know. I was, a, I was a teenager. Okay. I, was, I, I was going through some stuff. And um, I remember uh, being in my dining room and my mother wasn't home. Cause I probably got a butt whipping, but I remember just trying to say every curse word that I could think of in my head. And it just came out so awkward and just weird. And, um, it just wasn't the life of me. A lot of it was because I grew up in church and I had a real strong, solid foundation. Uh, my my church taught me the scriptures. So even though mm. I wasn't saved, I knew the Bible. And at some point in my life, the transition happened where I realized that it was real for me. And um, I just followed, you know, and I've had a lot of pitfalls, you know, you know, a lot of times you see failure in your leaders, you know, a lot of yeah. the people that I looked up to, as you get older, you realize that they really weren't what they, what you thought they were. And that was really disappointing. But 
I realized that that was their choice. They chose not to follow God in that area. And it wasn't that God was telling them to do those bad things. In my church, everyone was either younger than me or older than me. So I didn't fit in either way. And my godfather was the pastor. And a lot of the times he was always spending his time talking about this one guy, Frank. Uh, Frank was uh, an adopted child. And and he was with another family, but everything was Frank, every Frank this, Frank that. And, and I had a lot of animosity about Frank, you know, because it was nothing about me, you know, and I've been hurt tremendously in a lot of things that there was done over the years, you know, watching how favoritism in church and uh, my family wasn't the wealthiest one. They used to crack jokes about my father because he drove, you know, my father wasn't, my father was from World War II you know, drafted in World War II, and he dealt with racism beyond measure. Yeah. And so it caused him to be subdued. And so he wasn't aggressive. And my mother was different. She grew up in the South, too. It was rough, but she had a different mentality. And my father didn't really care, you know, as much. As he, if he had a car that drove, he didn't care if it smelled, you know, if it, if it smoked, you know. And so yeah. I was, I was the brunt of a lot of ridicule and laughter my father would but my father was the one that would help anybody mm. you know if you were stuck call brother spence you know they laughed at us but they needed us you know and so i had a lot of you know a lot of hurt you know a lot of things that i've went through as a child you know wishing that i had more my neighborhoods i couldn't afford anything so i would make everything you know and they i remember when skateboards were big time i made a skateboard you know i yeah. took piece I made my own bicycle. I put pieces together, made a bicycle. So I was laughed at all the time. And so these things affected me as I grew older. You know, um, I was bused from, um, this is the time of busing, you know, uh, in the late 60s. You know, they bused us from the black church, black schools to the white schools. And I remember seeing uh, white men uh, outside of the school. We were in the school bus. And I remember these men with bats chains, wow. pipes. They were outside and they were protesting us coming to their schools. Wow. And yeah, I remember that. And um, it had an effect on me. Then you question, like, is God racist? And so yeah. for a long period of my life, I thought God was a racist. I thought he just loved white people, didn't love black people. Mm. And um, it caused me a lot of great internal hurt wow. that I couldn't, I couldn't verbalize to anybody, you know, so I kept it to myself and I would pray. And then at uh, one point, God spoke to me and he said, I love you just as much as I love anyone else. And, and I said, well, then you're going to have to bless me because I can't afford this, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, I've, and I've had moments in my life as I got older where I would approach God, you know, like working at the music store, you know, if I was treated unfairly for many years, I quit, went, went to another music store, did great. They asked me to come back. And I had a conversation with God that said, I don't want to go back to this store. Yeah. But if, if you want me there, I'm going to be a backseat driver. And God bless me beyond measure. So, Ed, before we get too far, because there's a couple of things that you said that I that I want to go back to. Um, was there a specific moment for you where you were like completely submissive and, and he showed you something? Or was it a combination of moments? It was a period of uh, events because, again, we were old school fire baptized kind of church where they would have these tarrying services where they'd make you come to the altar and pray for hours. And, wow. and you see people shivering and shaking and, and you wanted to do that because you wanted to get up. So you would fake at your shadow, you know, whatever, <laughs> just to get up and do different things. But 
the thing with God happened when I started traveling with this group. Uh, we were singing, and they appreciated me. And they didn't care if I could hit a bad note or not. They just said, just play. And they really took me in. And that helped me to see uh, another level of, of love that I had yeah. never experienced before. And then when I started traveling with Reverend Huntley, we went all over the world. And wow. I saw things. I mean, I saw the experience I got from watching, I mean, pastors crying, just real things. I saw another level of God uh, and watching him that really helped me. Let me give you a little backdrop because I'm going to put some pieces together. So yeah. I was in New York City and um, and I was playing. Or By this time, I, I could play and I'm playing. I'm traveling with Rev. We're in and out of the countries. We're all over the place. But I, I felt like I was trapped in New York. I was married and my marriage was kind of rocky. You know, it was just a lot of stuff was going on. We went to Maryland and did this big service. Rev preached at this big church. And the pastor said, I want you to come and be my youth pastor to, to, my, to Rev. And he said, bring your organist because they like the way I play organ. Yeah. So Rev said, hey, if I go to Maryland, would you like to move? I said, yeah, wherever you go, I'm going. So I really quit my job and I moved to Maryland and I started playing at this church. And Now, let me ask you this. Did you ask God, like, hey, God, should I move or you just went? I, you know, that's a good question because it was both. I did ask, but I've learned something through that. God doesn't always speak, but if you read the Old, the Old Testament, the prophets just moved. Mm. They just did things. Um, and I learned that we are always expecting God to say, go left, go right. He doesn't do that. Um, but if, if you're always in prayer and you're always seeking him, you make the right decision. Mm. And there are times when God will give you multiple choices. Yeah, and uh, I have a friend that um, he he was in a bad job situation, uh, and he wanted to get another job, and he got two offers, and he said, "I don't know which one to take." And the Lord just anointed me, and I said to him, "I said, God has given you both jobs." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Of all the jobs that are available, God limited your choices to two." Yeah, and I said, "Either one will work for you. Which one do you want?" We weren't. See, we weren't trained to, to learn that God gives us choices. Mm. We are, for somehow our mind, I'll make it personal. My ideology of God is that it's the way he says it and that's it. And maybe because of some of the bad training I had, you know, what, being with some leaders, they always want you to, like, to follow them, that they're God and you have to follow them. God is not like that. He gives you choices. And... He said to me, tell Joe that he can have any of those jobs. I will make it work for him. Remember, Moses was taking Israel. God said, I can take them the highway or the low way. He said, but if I take them this way, they may not work. It may not work for them because, but he had choices. Yeah. So he chose them to go through the wilderness and they still messed up. But the point was that there was two choices. There's always a choice and God will lead you as long as you're praying you, your steps are ordered. What I've learned is that when you're living for God, he orders your dreams and he orders your the things that are around you. Like I'm driving on the highway and God will, will say something to me. Well, he won't say it, but he'll just give me that revelation knowledge. He'll say, every car around you, I ordained mm. because I kept the murderer. I kept 
the car that's running away from the cops away from you. I kept the drunk driver away from you. I'm, I prepared a way so that you can make it to work on time without any interruptions. Because remember, he says that even the hairs on your head are numbered. Right. Everything that you see is ordered by God in the time. And so every time you walk, as long as you're praying, everything is, God has ordained it and allowed it. Nothing can happen without God's authority, even bad things. He controls the, the limits of the bad things because he said he'll put no more upon you than what you can bear. That means that he has to control the, the attack of the enemy. So being back in, in, in Maryland, you know, we moved here, going yeah. back to the church thing. Yeah. I was playing at the church, three services, and the church paid me $48 for all the work I did at the end of the week. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, did I you have a family at this time already too? Yeah, like- I was married. And my family was in New York waiting for me to get established so they can come wow. here to Maryland. Yeah. And they said, well, we don't have a, a position for you. I said, well, they asked me to come here. And we were staying at, uh, the church had this nursing home where they let me and Rev stay. So we're in this one room that was infested with cockroaches. Mm. And um, I hate cockroaches. And you you open a microwave and they would just fly out. I mean, it was a bad situation. Uh, This is a church-owned building, you know? This is church folk, you know? So, you know, this is just more build-up hurt, you know, things you go through. So I had to find a job. And miraculously... In my life, I have a degree in engineering, uh, mechanical design, and I worked for a company that sent me to Maryland years before to take measurements at White Flint North at the time. And so I went to take measurements, and because I was in the music industry, I went to this music store, Chuck Levin's. I heard there was a music store, so I happened to go there, and I saw it, and I said, wow, okay. So fast forward to now, years later, I'm in Maryland, and now I've got to find a job. And so I, I just went to Chuck Levin's and I don't know how I made it upstairs to Chuck Levin's, the old, the old man's office. I oh, made geez. it at, I made it at his desk. I, don't, I can't tell you how I got there. We're sitting and we talk and he hires me in a spot. No resume, nothing. Cause I worked at Sam Ash for a brief period of time. He hired me in a spot, put me in a room with 11 other salesmen and the 11 salesmen was hated me. Because I was a 12th guy. There's too many men. This pro, the pro sound room right now where the guys there are, there's like four guys in pro sound now. When I worked there, I was a 12th guy. And so what happened was uh, I was blessed. God blessed me to be the best one in the in the room. And I wiped everyone out. And then uh, one of the owners uh, was just real rough to me. So I quit and left back. But part of the process, in other words, God was leading me. But you go through things, and some things you go through are from church. A lot of my hurt came from church. You know, that was a church they asked me to move to Maryland for, and they paid me forty eight dollars, and I had I just survived. And I didn't want to work at a music store. I came to be a full time musician at a church. But this is the whole thing: how your steps are ordered. It was God's will to get me to Maryland to be at the music store, Mm -hmm. but He used the church as the vehicle to get me to Maryland. Yeah. I couldn't see that two years later because I was bitter at the church for years until I realized, wait a second, your job was just to get me to Maryland so I could forgive them now. And so my assignment was Washington Music Center. And because of that, everything flourished. I mean, I'm 
teaching to like Stevie Wonder. I'm praying for Stevie Wonder that he get his eyes. They get see. I'm laying hands on Stevie Wonder. And wow. I'm like, Stevie Wonder. I'm like, wow. You know, and I'm traveling with Timbaland and I'm I'm doing things and I'm preaching at to Timbaland in his villa in Miami. You know, so I was able to reach people and preach to places that they would never come to church. So that was part of my process, but it was it's a process. I um uh, I was reading the the word right before we were like setting up and um I came across a verse that I that I thought really described what you do in the music store, other mm -hmm. than of course hook people up. It's this is on Proverbs twelve twenty five. It says anxiety weighs down the heart but a kind word cheers it up. And when people come into the store to come talk to you, they're coming because of gear, because they know you. And it doesn't matter what they're there for or what they're going through. You find a way to give them a kind word. You find a way to share the revelation that the Lord has been um, exposing you to or sharing with you. I wanted to ask you, What is it that pushes you to to constantly share with people what you are learning in your walk with Christ? Um, one is the fact that I realize that a lot of people are broken. A lot of things we were taught um, stems from racism, from a black vantage point. Um, yeah. Um, our very fabric of our life has been distorted. Um, our dreams are hindered. The education we get is poor. The school books that I read in my school were not the same books in Montgomery County. You know, mm. the the choices. We weren't taught money, you know. So less you make, the higher the interest. So you're always going to be in credit card debt. So when I see people, and also the preaching, because I had the rich uh, um, privilege of traveling throughout the world, I got to hear preaching from every vantage point. Yeah. I got to hear Hispanic churches. I saw um, Yugoslavian churches, uh, I, I, Russian churches. I saw people praising God and preaching from different levels. And I saw a distinct difference of the God that was being represented. For example, a typical scenario of an African-American church is uh, your telephone disconnected, waiting for the next paycheck, you know, all your bills are due, waiting for God to come through, right? The white church is, God is amazing. The flowers. <laughs> I mean, it's so real, though. Yeah. You, you, you walk into wow. churches, it's an amazing cathedral. They're all wow. driving Lexus and, and Mercedes Benzes. And you go to the typical black church, you, you, you smell the fried chicken because it's going to be a great meal at the end, some fish. Yeah. But everyone is poor, you know? Mm. Um, and, the, the, and even I've been even some other poor white countries, you know, their mindset of God is still different. The preachers, bishops, their mindset, what they teach, we teach that God can do anything and God can, this is, God is a mighty God. And But when you see their actions, it doesn't represent that God that you talk about. And a lot of it comes from what you really believe can happen. You could say it, but your actions say something different. I felt that God led me to bring a new light of God 
to the world, even white churches or white people become, it doesn't matter who you come to. Um, I'm Uncle Ed, you know, I'll say, hey, you're going to get, I said, you know what, you, you look like a relative of mine. You're, you're entitled to a family discount. Yeah. And it's a white Jewish person. He's looking at me like, yeah, he says, yeah, I think I could save you 20%. And so he's looking at me like, oh yeah, 20%. Yeah, we're cousins. We go way back to Adam, you know, yeah. every, you know, and, and I use the little ways of just showing love and uh, when I get an opportunity to represent Christ, um, I do it in a way that's not indicting. Um, I make it inviting. I try to be like Christ. Yeah. Christ wasn't. Christ never preached to anybody. You know, he taught and he lived the life. So I never wanted to be a bishop. You know, like my church, I was supposed to be the next level, and I declined. I didn't want that because I noticed that uh, most black churches. Everyone has these titles. You're, and, and I'm looking at the title, like, when you look at Jesus, he was just Jesus. Right. And then when I looked at the white churches, this is Joel Osteen, you know, John Hagee, Jimmy Swaggart, you know, first name, last name. They may have been bishops, but when you talk to them, no, I'm just John. No, come on. No, no, I'm John. You know, the, you know, the black church, oh, I'm the bishop. I'm looking at you like, it's from systemic racism. We're looking for identity. Identity, wow. uh, and we need we need a label to prove that we're something because we are told through life that we are nothing. Wow! And so I try to reverse that and and to show another viewpoint because because it comes down to how you feel about God, and most people don't want to be honest and say, God, I, I don't like you because I'm black. You know, uh, why would you make me black? Will you, will you just pick a race to pick on and? Most of the black people that come to the store or Hispanics, most of them, they can't afford the stuff. They can't afford it, you know. And I look at the white churches, the white people that come in there, they can afford it easily. Yeah. And so I, I feel bad for them, you know. And, I, I, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not pitying, but I said, like, man, I wish I could help you. So I will give this guy a dream. Like even yesterday I said to the guy, I said, if money was no object, what would you buy? He says, wow. Uh, and it took him a while to get past his pockets. Wow. And I said, if money was no object, what would, we, if, what would you buy in this store? And then it took a while. He says, well, maybe I get that keyboard over there. I said, well, and what else? He says, oh, Ed. I said, no, no, if money, you'd be surprised how messed up our dreams are yeah. based on our circumstances. So I have a moment with people and then I give them my personal example. I said, like yesterday, I said, let me tell you what I've learned about God. I said, we're supposed to speak things into existence. And I said, see that rolling phantom? I went to God and I said, God, I want that rolling phantom. Now, rolling phantom, for whoever doesn't know, is like a really expensive, amazing uh, keyboard, synthesizer. No, keyboard. Yep, it's both. Yeah, and it's about over $3,000. Yeah, $3,000. And I said, God, I want this keyboard. I don't need it, but I want it. Long story short, Roland fired one of their main guys by mistake and they were doing a budget cut and i knew it would hurt them because this is a guy on the he's on the youtube channel he has thousands of, of subscribers and I, so i wrote a letter in roland's behalf on, on this custom this guy's behalf to roland and it made it to the president of roland and because roland is a japanese company i understood japanese some of their uh, what do you want to say? I, some of their principles. And yeah. one thing particular is that they don't like losing face. They don't like to be embarrassed. 
So I, because I knew that, I wrote a letter. And I said, I understand Japanese has a problem with losing face, but this is, we can find a way to rehire um, this guy. Ed Diaz is the guy. So I wrote him this detailed letter out. And at the same time, I was asking my rep, I said, Steve, I want one of these keyboards for free. He says, Ed, I said, Steve, get me a free keyboard. I said, Ed, we can't give you one. I said, look, I'm going to sell the daylights of them. Find a way to give me a free one. So we go to the NAM show this January, and I'm talking to Steve, and the president of Roland comes to me, and he says, I want to thank you for everything you've done for our company. Um, you know, thank you for everything. And he says, you don't know me. I'm Jay Wanamaker. I'm the president. And I've heard of him, but I don't oh. think I've ever met him. Yeah. So I'm shaking his hand. And while I'm talking to him, Steve, my rep, says to Jay, hey, Jay, Ed wants a free Phantom. And Jay turns and says, we could do that. And, wow. and, walk, and walks away. So at that point, I go to Steve's boss's boss because when the president comes all the little ones hang around so steve's boss dave his boss was there and i went to the the, the main guy underneath the president i said the king has spoken i'm getting the phantom <laughs> and, and 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 the the, the head manager said yeah he, he did he just said you're gonna get a phantom so right after nam after a few weeks later steve calls me says hey i got your phantom in my car so the what the point of the matter is that you should have what you say. And I've Power learned to, words. Yeah, and I've learned to take God's word seriously and I've applied it. And so when I get a chance to talk to people, I give them hope. And I give them uh I just try to give them hope because they really don't have hope. And yeah. I, I, I bring it to them and I tease them for years. I'd say, look, man, it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, green. I always tell customers. I said, look, when you're rich and famous, I want a Rolex. I want you to buy me this watch. And so I have white people say, Tesla. Tesla. And and they'll say to me, I haven't forgotten you. Yo, Ed, I haven't forgotten you, man. I'm going to get your watch. Let me tell you what happened yesterday. So one of my customers, I've known him for over 20 years, helped him out. Um, He worked in his studio. He was always helping people, but he never had anything for himself. This is an incredible story. So he calls me and says, Ed, um, my father died and left me everything. His father left him over a million dollars. Wow. Right. right. So he's calling me because he doesn't know what to do with the money because he used to sell drugs. He was arrested. And so he, and his family is trying to get the money from him. So fortunately, I knew a friend who worked in the White House and she teaches finance. I said, let me tell you what to do. I'm going to give you advice. I said, first of all, don't tell another person what just happened. Keep it quiet so you don't end up dead. Second of all, I'm going to hook you up with my friend. She teaches billionaires finance. She's going to help you out. And I said, third, you're going to buy me my Brightling now because he had promised me a Brightling years ago. Because one of those things, you know, it's a, bright, it's a real expensive watch. But the point of the matter was that what um, – so he had the conversation with the, he was, I mean, he was in tears. He was like, Ed, I need help. And I, I, I hooked him up. So yesterday, the conversation, he had the conversation with my friend. She set him up for the rest of his life. He is set. So he calls me and says, Ed, uh, I'm set. Uh, I'm going to take you. We're going to go go on a trip. Oh, just, just, just a couple of my close friends. We're just going to all expenses paid. We're going to go for a week, you and me and my friend. I appreciate everything you've done for me. Oh, and by the way, I promise you that Brightling, right? He said, send me pictures of it. I want to know which one to buy you. Dang, that's insane. Right. But the point of the matter is that 
I had given him hope when he had no hope. And he lived off of that and made me a promise that he made good. And God honored it because he spoke it. He yeah. said, Ed, I'm buying you. Because every, every time he would see me, he said, I forgot you, Ed. I told you I'm going to buy you a Brightling. I'm going. And he didn't have anything. <laughs> I mean, but this was the power of life. And what I'm trying to say is that you can have what you say. So if we could review God from the right vantage point, everyone would want him. Yeah. So anytime you feel resistance, it's something you was taught about him that's incorrect. Um, even through your troubles, God allows you to go through hard things for a purpose that you may not understand, but it's all for your good. And so if you understand that God loves you, and even though you're going through a tragedy, love said that this is the best route for you because I have to get something out of you or I have to get you out of something. I have to fix something. And so if you really love someone to trust them, say, I love you to death, you know, if you can love that God that way, you'll, it doesn't matter what you go through because you know that he's always going to catch you if you fall. He's always going to make it work. And right. I find that doesn't matter white, black, everyone has an area where they really don't believe. Even people that are wealthy, they, their wealth is their God. If they were to lose everything, what kind of God would they serve? Yeah. So, so there's always an element where they have to understand God. And I, that's what I try to do at that store. Whenever someone comes, I try to first represent him myself in my life, in my attitude. And if I get a, a glimpse of opportunity, I try to bring joy and hope to the hopeless. Give a, let's just keep going with the testimony, man. Because, I mean, we could sit here for days with your, with your testimony. But I really like the story that you told me about the $10. Oh tell, yeah, that just happened too. Yeah, okay. tell, tell tell me tell us about that. Okay, so in my church, um, they, you know, it's a small church, maybe fifty mem- members. So one day, I walk up to this young lady and I hand her ten dollars, and she's like, "What is this for?" I said, "I don't know, just buy some bubble gum." And I gave her ten dollars, and I forgot about it. Fast forward years later, she calls me over. Just a couple of months ago, she called me over right before the pandemic. She called me and she said, brother, they need to talk to you. And I said, what happened? She says, um, you don't remember, but you gave me $10. And, but you didn't know I was homeless. I was homeless for nine months and I had no money. And she, she said, your $10 was all I had to live on. And, um, and I wanted to say my family wouldn't even help me. And I just want you to know that. I was just awarded a contract because I was injured by the post office and they made a settlement for me and they're going to give me back pay for the last 30 years. Some insane amount. And she says, um, I'm going to bless you and your family and I'm going to, I'm going to give you enough money. I want you to buy a new car. I, I want you to do something because my family wouldn't help me and you're the only one that would think about me. And, and when she had like a hernia in her stomach yeah. and my wife walked up to her one day, she said, can I pray for you? And she said, sure. And so my wife prayed for her and she says, you're the only ones that cared for me. And wow. she said, so as soon as I get the money, I'm going to buy you a keyboard for the church because you need a new keyboard and I'm going to give money for you and your family. So fast forward to last week because it took a couple of months for all this stuff to happen. She first got her first installment. She calls me. She said, "Brother, I got $10,000 so far, so come meet me. So I'm driving. 
um, Forestville Mall. We're waiting out there, and she comes out because she, she got her, her toes done. <laughs> she had, you know, and I'm teasing. I said, "Get She's your toes." Good. Yeah, and um, and so she says, "Well, she says um, this is just the beginning," and she hands me three hundred dollars, and she says, "This is just the beginning." She's living in a uh, extended stay place right now with her daughter. And she just bought a brand new truck and she's waiting for the rest of the money to come in. And she says, I'm going to bless you with more, but this is just the beginning. So if she never does anything else, that $10 is already mounted to $300. I've been teaching, the Bible says, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. But no one really understands that. I'm convinced no one really understands that. Everyone should walk around with with a seed in their hand. Put it in an envelope and remember, everything you say, everything you do is a seed that you're planting. Yeah. Whatever that seed is, is what you get. So if you plant a seed of hate, of, 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 of uh, lying, you get a tree of whatever that seed is, and it's never equal. So if you're going to do anything, you would want to plant a seed of good. I'm going to, like, I planted a seed of benevolence. I didn't realize it. I was just helping her. And that seed has already grown into a $300 harvest that's going to grow. She said, I'm hoping to give you $300,000. I don't think she can, but I, love, I wish she could, but I don't think <laughs> yeah. she can. The but intentions the, are there, you know? Her intentions are there. So yeah. what I'm saying is so, and you cannot think of, that's why the Bible says, do not render evil for evil. Because when you render evil to pay someone back, you're planting a seed of evil God said, justice is mine. I will repay. Because when you plant a seed, even though they deserve it, when you plant a seed of evil, you're planting a seed that's going to grow to a tremendous, terrible tree of punishment right back to you. So you're not helping yourself. So I've learned the principle of sowing and reaping. So I'm always planting good seed because I should have, I'm going to have a harvest. And some things, you know, some things maturate over a year. Some things takes 10 years. Some things takes 20 years. Some things may take, some things I've planted, I may never see in my lifetime, but my son will see. Right. Because the Bible says that your blessings should come to the third generation. So my children's children's children should be able to feed off of this, the, the seeds that I have planted. And that's where we talk about generational curses. Mm-hmm. You know, these are seeds. And we have to break some things. Curses have to be broken because you have a, a a weakness for alcohol because your father was an alcoholic because your grandmother, and sometimes it skips generations. Yeah. As you follow God's principle, the devil mimics God's principles in the opposite way. Yeah. How awesome it is though, to, to have that um, understanding. That's something that has truly helped me and, and has just gotten me even closer to the Lord in the understanding of man, it's not all my fault. Like an anger issue, right? That I, that I used to have or a mild depression or, you know, some, some vices. Like, yes, some, some are our choices, right? But man, when you start looking at the, the lineage, when you start looking at the patterns, you're like, whoa, okay, I can, okay, I can deal with this now. I, can, I know how to deal with it because I know where it's coming from rather than when you're not with God and you don't have that awareness, that understanding, you're kind of just like, this is just how I am. You're, you had no choice of parents. You had no choice of the era in which you're born. 
You yeah. have no choice of your height, your skin color. You have no choice of your dialect, what language you speak. You're just alive. And by the time you wake up and or come to life where the, someone drops you the keys and now you're in control of your life, most of the times the damage is already done. You know, and so now you're trying to figure out who am I or like, what can I do? And then life is running at 100 miles an hour. And like I told one of this young men, I said, how much does it cost to get an apartment now? Is it $1,500, $1,600 a month? Okay, so you have to find a job that's going to give you enough money to pay rent if you're not going to try to buy a house. If you try to buy a house, you have to have a down payment. Your credit has to be good. And so already you're, you're depressed now. And sometimes you're living with parents and like they're trying to get you out the house and, and or different, whatever your situation is. You may have gotten a child out of wedlock and, or and you, you're in a situation and now reality hits you and you're like trying to figure out how can I do this? And you're depressed and you're just surviving. And we are not told of the resources that we have in Christ. Uh, too many times people are telling us, well, you did this, you're responsible for this, you know, and, and I've had, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, that can help you, but because they went through hell, they want you to go through hell. Come on. And they're not willing to help you because of their hurt. And that's completely ungodly. That's demonic. So you're by yourself and you're trying to survive and you don't understand the riches the resources that God has, because by this time, you're questioning the very identity of God or, or the validity of God, or if, is he a God of Ed Spence? He's, may he, he may take care of you, but he's not going to take care of me. And that's a problem because you have not learned the beauty of God and the, the money, the finances that God has and all the blessings he has for you. So you're looking to him out of despair, as a, as opposed to looking him as a child, like my grandson comes up to me and says, "Hey, Dad, uh, can I can I get some new headphones?" And he's already gone to his phone and found the headphones. Is all I have to do is hit buy. I mean, he's done everything, and I'm looking at him and says, "I said, well, we'll see." He says, "Okay, thank you," and turns and runs away. Wow! Even though I didn't yeah. do it right then, he has enough faith to know that I'm going to buy him those headphones. And, and he'll just text me and say, hey, Dad, did you get them yet? I said, I didn't say you was going to get them. He says, okay, next thing you know, they're in the mail because I'm not going to, to de de deny my grandson anything. Yeah. God is the same way. And if we go to him as father, as our father, he is our father, why did you let me go for this, Dad? Why? He says, well, because I had to break some things. I had to get some things out of you. I had to separate you because I'm trying to push you in the right direction. And that pain is the only thing that pushes you. But understand that I've got you. Like I've had conversations with God and he would respond in my mind and says, what do you want? And I stop and says, I don't know what I want. I said, well, why are you asking? I said, I said well, because I didn't know if he was going to say nothing, anything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Now I've learned to let my mind go. And I've wow. learned, what do I want from God? What do I want in life? And I say, well, God, I want X, Y, Z. And I say, you know what? I want to reserve some things I ask you because I'm asking you this based on my vantage point in the desert. When I get out of the desert and I'm in a, a, a lovely place with milk and honey, everything's good. I may not want that thing anymore. So mm. I'll, I'll talk to God like that. I said, right now I want this, but I reserve the right to change my mind when you bless me and I see something different. And not mm. everything has things. It could be heart. You hurt things of your hurt of your heart. Some people don't want money. Some people don't want houses. It's not yeah. everything has to 
Some things have nothing to do with physical things. It has to do with your broken heart. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and God, like my friend, one of my friends, um, he was in a bad relationship. Um, his wife ended up turning gay, and um, she tortured him. And they his divorce. He's a single parent, and he wants to be married again. You know, he doesn't care about anything else. He wants a wife. Yeah, and he's searching the scripture. He said, "God, he searches for a wife. He finds a wife. Finds the good things." I'm driving everywhere. I said, "Joe, God has already heard your prayer, and she's already there on earth for you. It's just a certain time and a date where it's just going to happen." Yeah. And I, I said, it's not happening now, but it is going to happen. And sometimes it's hard for him because he says, well, are you saying that because you're already married? I said, dude, I am married, but I understand that God still loves you. And just because I'm telling you it's from a point of marriage, you don't know that how happy I am in my marriage. I said, for most of my marriage, I wasn't happy. You know, I wrote songs that says, how can I be lonely when I'm lying next to you? I wrote songs like that. You know, mm-hmm. I was in a relationship with my wife and we were just battling and it was misery misery for years it's only when god shifted things i said i said i tell you i'd rather be single than being living with someone that i can't stand yeah um it's torture and then you're trying to be a christian you know and fake it in front of people but coming home to misery i know what that feels like and then and i know what it's like to suffer and to have to go through and and one time god taught me this he taught me a triangle he said um i created marriage and I knew that people would make mistakes because really there's no instructions on marriage. You know, there's no instructions on how to get married and how to find there's very little things in the Bible. So, but once you do get married, there are a lot of instructions on what you can and cannot do once you get married. Yeah. So once you get married, God spoke to me. He said, you're on the left. Your wife is on the right. I'm in the middle. The point. He says, whatever you don't like about her, don't tell her. You tell me. And you tell wow. your wife. You tell her, whatever she doesn't like about you, confess to me. He says, I created marriage. It's my responsibility to fix it. It's not yours. Wow. And so I had moments, and I had pieces of paper, and I wrote these pages. And and my wife said, I got my pages, too. (laughs) (laughs) I got books of it. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. And I shouldn't have said anything. My. I should that should have been my private thing, you know. But you know, you're human. You, you, you want to let. I told you off, but but at some point, God that's fixed. So it. good, but but that's good too. I mean, I'm man. I'm so happy that you're saying this because, you know, as I'm preparing to go into that journey of marriage, right? Um, I am looking at things that I'm like, ooh, I don't really like that, or that might be a problem, <laughs> and and sometimes in our ignorance or in my ignorance, right? I might be like, okay, well, at some point, I'm going to have to address this, right? And mm-hmm. some things probably need to address, need to be addressed. But that that um, perspective of come to God, because that that that's it. Like, come to God and tell Him about it. Like, I love that. I love that perspective. And I think it's it's fair for, even for for the wife to do that, right? Because there's things that we don't notice in us that are messed up or are wrong yeah. because ego or you know whatever the case may be and so i i love that example that's a yeah. that's really good well there's a couple of things one is that again by the time you get the keys and you're trying to drive you've built up this image uh, of what you believe uh, a woman is or a man is or a husband is a marriage we're not taught about marriage we're not taught about um there's no book on marriage in the bible you you, you read the stories a lot of them are tragic you know yeah and so how do you find marriage? Most people learn marriage from watching television. 
the black families watch the Cosby show. White people watch uh, Bewitched or The Honeymooners or and you, you you learn things or you watch your neighbors. You know, a lot of time, like my marriage, my parents, they was a good marriage, but it wasn't like a loving. It wasn't like this Cinderella. They were just on a mission to, of survival. You know, so it wasn't like I saw my mother. I never saw my mother, and my father hold hands. You know, I may have seen them kiss a few and it's walk of a pack because remember it's a different age different era never i've never seen my father hug my wife or his mother my mother I, i've never seen that wow i don't think it, i don't think it was a fact that they didn't love each other or anything. it was just a different day yeah so so now we're today we're, we're showing affection and th- there's a, things are more open um so where do you learn love so how do you you want to be married well what is marriage what does marriage consist of what does it contain um and what is your baggage? What are the things that you've built up about marriage that you expect the wife to do? Husbands, well, you better be the cook. You better clean my shoes and do all this stuff. And she's working a job. She's making more money than you. She says, I'm not cooking a thing, and I'm definitely not going to clean your shoes or your feet. So it's a different day, right? Yeah. The, the model that we were taught back in the day was the nuclear family, the white husband, the white wife, the two children, the dog, the house. It's not that now. You're living in an apartment and you're next door neighbors. And you have noise issues you got to be careful of. And both parents are working. Okay. So it's a different model. We don't know how to survive that. And then on the second thing is I've taught um, to learn about the differences. Instead of counseling about what you have in common, you need to find out what you do not have in common. Marriages yeah. are separated for irreconcilable differences. There's never been a marriage where they separated because I hate her because we have the same things in common. We eat the same foods. We love bowling. So I, I'm going to divorce you. It's never going to happen. It's because of things that you can't stand about her or him that irreconcilable. Whatever it is about you that's so despicable that I could never change. I call that the abomination of desolations. What is it about you that's so despicable? or just that I could never, ever be with you again. You need to find those things about, about, uh, things about you and about her. Yeah. And, and you have to decide, can I live with them? Because you're not going to change. By the time you get to a certain age, you're, you may change a few things. But yeah. You're pretty much already in a mold, and so is she. And I had a customer recently. Uh, one, of my, one of my employees was asked me a critical question. He said, um, I, I, he was being transparent to this young lady to let her know his feelings for her. And her response was so awkward. She says, well, um, I basically, um, in other words, her response was, you should already know this because of the way I've been spending time with you. And he's like, wow. And it was totally unexpected because he had built up an ex- something that he says, if I love you, he's expecting her to say, I love you back and hug you and give you a kiss. And her response was, I ain't got to say that. Mm. You should already know this. And that messed him up. And, and I said, well, you, you have to make some decisions because you have built up these expectations for this young lady and she has her expectations. And right. both of you are entitled to your expectations. Now, you have to decide, can you live with the way she thinks about you? All right. If you cannot live with it, then you need to walk away and find someone else. And vice versa. You're not going to sit there assuming 
before this marriage and find out that, man, she really never did like me. Um, she just tolerated me. and But she was willing to get married to me and have children because her threshold was lower than yours. Yeah. And and so now you're in a marriage just 20 years later and you hate each other because you realize that she really didn't love you, but she was willing to marry you because she was an okay guy. Mm. And you're like, well, but you're after something else. Ask God to reveal you the person's heart, who the person is. You you, you always ask God because everyone puts their best foot forward. And I'm going to meet a girl. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to clean my shoes and everything. But I'm not a clean person. So once she gets married, you know, I didn't brush my teeth for three weeks. You know what I'm saying? My socks are all over the place. You know, and I've had this happen. One of my customers had a true story. This woman was after him and she did everything for him. She cooked for him. Perfect wife. They get married. They have a child. Uh, And then one day, everything stopped. Everything stopped. And he said to her, said, said, well, why did you stop? You used to do this. She says, oh, I just did that to get you. Jeez. She said it. I lie not. I, and then later down the marriage, because he was a good dude, working a lot of hours, uh, FedEx and different things. And later, uh, she had the nerve to come to him. It's just a true story. Because he, he paid for her to go to college and get her, get her um, degree. Wow. And she had the nerve to come to him. She says, um, I want to... You got to be sitting down for this one. She said, I want to get a tattoo of this guy in school on me because uh, on my body, because when I was in college, he was very influential in helping me through my rough times. And he says, okay, you want to get a tattoo of another man on your body because of who relationship, something She says, yeah. And he said, okay, get the tattoo. We're done done divorced and um she was after his money uh, and the judge ruled in his favor um um so he's still paying child support but the judge ruled in his favor and now he's picking up the pieces Ah. and a lot of years of his life is messed up because she was never in it so you have to pray for for discernment yeah okay you know um being christian is a good plateau because you can see you have being a christian because you have a bible you can watch people from the word of God. You can see their life, you know, and you can tell from their Christian values where they are in Christ and, and where, where they aren't in Christ. Yeah. And by prayer and supplication, make your request known. Father, is this the person you sent me? Is this the person you sent me or this? Or, or am I just happy because she got pretty eyes? So I've got, I'm attracted to her, God. I, she smells great. I love everything about her. I'm in lust with this woman. Mm-hmm. Or I'm in lust with this man, and and we get that confused with love also. Yeah, and I like that. Is this yeah? Is this the person that you want for me from the rest of my life? And like I like I've just learned that like over the years, all the stuff I've gone through with my wife and my marriage, I've come to realize that she was not the model woman that I envisioned in my dreams. Yeah, but she ended up being the best woman for me. You know, she is a complete help me. And it was a process of becoming one. The two shall be one flesh. You don't start off as one flesh. You go from different directions. You're growing faster, slower. Life happens. Family issues, tragedies happen. I've had another couple. Um, they got, they were getting married. This is another true story. And 
the parents said they lived in New, the parents lived in New Zealand, and the parents said if you guys get if you marry my daughter, we will build we'll buy you a house in New Zealand. Come live here. He says, Ed, should I do this? Man, are you in love with her? Yeah, I love her, man. So they get married. They move to New Zealand. When the when the when the wife gets back home, something changes in her about home. And she realizes that she doesn't want to be married to him anymore. So she divorces him abruptly. He's calling me from New Zealand. Ed, what's up, Jim? Man, you won't believe what happened. I said, what happened? My wife left me. I said, left you? What? Yeah, she came. She moved to New Zealand. We were fine for a while. Then she realized that she doesn't want to be married. Somehow, coming back here changed her mind. I said, are you kidding me? I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I got to find a place to live. I said, you're in another country. He says, yeah, but... um." I got to get a job. Uh, fortunately, um, I had taught him enough audio because I would help him with audio. He was he was um, he did dubstep, but I taught him enough audio that he got a job for New Zealand television. They needed an audio tech. Yeah, he ended up being the top guy in the country, going to the Olympics and everything. Number one in New Zealand. All right, and then uh, I mean he's traveled all the world, sending me stuff. Uh, now he finally moved back to the states, got married, but. It was like amazing thing. He is fine, doing well, but the wife, gone. He's remarried. He lives in California now. But it was yeah. a crazy situation for him being out there. So things, things, these kind of things happen. How can you prevent them from happening? Prayer, supplication, being completely brutally honest with God and let God re- help you out. That's so good. Um, I wanted to, I really want to touch on this because on on the whole... Racial reconciliation is what they're calling it right now, right? With with what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I really would love your perspective on this, specifically on how we can position Jesus to to the the black community. What I've noticed in the newer and the new generation is that we can we can hesitate to go to Jesus because he has been painted as white Jesus, right? As this is white people's gods. And that's the problem with uh, religion in itself. It's oppressing the population. And and it, Jesus has been painted for, for the new generation as this oppressor. And then you go back to history, right? Like uh, the Europeans did come in and, which I don't consider Christians, right? Came in, enslaved people, killed people. Uh, and then, you know, use religion as a form of oppression. Mm-hmm. Can you speak on that? How can we find healing? How can the how can I, as a Hispanic man, speak life to to let's say a black man, right? That's hurt in that way. Um, yeah, it's it's complicated, but uh, I'll try to break it as as easy as this. Yeah, uh, from a Christian perspective, you have to go through history, uh, even historically, even in a non Christian perspective. Um, every nation has had their day. Um, if you go from the book of Daniel, you look Babylon conquered uh, Israel. And then after Babylon, the Medes and Persians conquered them. After them, Greece conquered them. And after Greece, Rome conquered them. And and, and each area was treacherous. The things that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes did wanted to wiping out the, the whole Jewish nation. Um, hundreds of years 
of, of oppression, you know, the Holocaust that the Jews went through. So in the moment, God looks like he's got a blind eye to it. But if you step back and look at it from a historical vantage point, it's just what happens in life. Um, every few hundred years, someone conquers someone and takes over. You know, look at what's going on in this Middle East. Saddam Hussein was bombing his own people, gassing them. You know, uh, Bosnia, the ethnic cleansing of Bosnia. What's going on in, uh, in other countries right now? Uh, America has suffered great, greatly from, and I, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rules of darkness. Yeah. So you have to get your finger off the white person, first thing. Um, you're dealing with a demon. Yeah. And he's influenced through the white Europeans. But your enemy was the prince of America. There was a prince of Babylon, then the prince of Persia, then the prince of Greece, then the prince of Rome. Then the prince of America came in and conquered the Indians and took slaves and imprisoned them and did horrible things. And the American fabric is is woven the Constitution, the very essence of America is racist and, 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 and bigoted. And, and just so, to clarify, just to clarify, when, when we're talking about prince, we're talking about a demonic force. We're correct. talking dark. We're not talking about a literal prince. We're talking about darkness because they operate in ranks as well. That's right. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities powers yeah. rulers of darkness they control certain regions of the earth yeah. you go to san francisco there's a big gay population over there you go someplace else they're killing each other you go someplace else they're having fun doing other things every region has a, a, a higher ranking of, of demonic of force controlling that area and we have to be aware of it and pray against it now we're dealing with america and it's tough because um you know i told you some a little bit of my story a whole lot more I could tell you about it. But so first of all, you have to take your eyes off the white person, which is really hard, really difficult because you're looking at them. I, I, Chuck's during the pandemic, when the uh, George Floyd incident happened, I left this store to go to my car for lunch and a person, in a, a white person in the car called me the nigger. Really? Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, wow. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I turned and waved at him, you know, just being being typical Ed Spence. And then the old Ed Spence popped up and said, "Oh no, he didn't get in your car, catch this fool, and beat the crap out of him." Yeah, and I had to sit in the car, and I said no, and I had to pray, and I had to wow. pray for my soul, and I and I prayed. And I said, "God, get the, don't let this venom enter my spirit mm. because it'll affect me." And I felt the presence of God touching my my in my chest i felt like heat in my chest and said wow that's was that that word was an attack to get into my spirit to affect me to do something later that i may not want to do and i had to pray against it and then it calmed me down and i said you know what let it go but this is what happened and so we have to understand that uh, god is moving through this pandemic and through this period of right enough time america is repenting something that america has yeah. never done in the 200 years of america america is repenting and turning if my people which are called by my name humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven forgive the sin and heal the land nike 
Old Navy. These companies are writing letters and saying, we realize that we have screwed black people up and we're going to do something. Apple is giving $100 million toward racial cleansing, fixing things. And, and, and these, this is, they're, they're not only saying it, but they're doing something. They're repenting and turning. Come sure. On. You still got a few people that's going to be going stupidness and ignore them. This is a move of God. Now, the way I think, I'm a deep thinker. I'm like, God, how can you fix this? Because the very fabric of my life is, has been affected by racism. I'm a black buyer in the music industry. At one point, I was one of the only buyers black in the music industry. And there are no black companies that in the music industry. They're all white-owned. And... If I was a rep, like I wanted to get another job to become a rep, a lot of them couldn't hire me because there's certain places of America that's so racist. That and a rep is, wanna, just to be clear, they, you represent a company. Right. Like if I represent, represented Roland or Yamaha, yeah. there are certain hick stores in you know West Virginia or South Carolina you know, past the Mason-Dixon line, they wouldn't want no black dude coming in and telling them what they can and cannot do. And so there is a the fabric of America is messed up. And like, there's a lot of things that we never had access to. There are corporations with, with secret things that, to keep them wealthy. Your credit score. Um, just recently, they did something in the White House that lowered everyone's credit scores. So if you look at your credit score, it lowered without you even doing anything. Oppression. You lower your credit score, the higher your interest rate, the more money you're paying for the longer period of time. And so right. I'm saying, I'm saying, okay, God, how are you going to fix this? And I said, how are you going to fix this in my life? You know, because again, this is me being fleshly, thinking carnal through my natural eye. Although God has already figured it out and it's going to solve it, but I'm just being honest with God. I said, I said, what, what, what could you do? I said, well, first of all, I want you to give me years back. I want you to the years that I've lost in pain that I should have gotten, uh, I want you to restore. I want a new house. I want a new car. This is, this is real talk. Uh, my friend Ralph, um, his brother, um, had prostate cancer and died. So Ralph went to get tested, and his points were kind of high. He didn't have prostate cancer, but the doctor said, we need to remove your prostate. It's a young married man, and that affects your sexual life. He had his prostate removed, and he started a movement called Jazz for Prostate Cancer Awareness. And during this process that's happening real time right now, he's been finding, trying to find hospitals that will spend time searching uh, cures because blacks die of prostate cancer and colon cancer more than whites. Ralph found out that the specifications that the hospitals and doctors use are not based on the black DNA. Everything is based on a white person's uh, makeup. And we're not wow. the same. Right. So when they test your blood pressure, it's based on a white man's blood pressure. The black blood pressure is usually generally higher. Um, and it's just normal to be higher. And just like someone else or, or a Hispanic person, they haven't done any research on black people to even begin the conversation about how can we prevent prostate cancer. Uh, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. So they had given me... Uh, lisinopril, something. Found out later that lisinopril is dangerous to black people. They just, so I'm like, well, do you have any pills that or, or medicine that was tested on 
black subjects to make sure that you're giving us the right thing for our DNA. It's not that we're animals, but we're, our, we're, our structure's different. When you think of racism, only the strong survived, the weak ones. So our strain is different than a white person. I'm taller. My, 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 my sizes are different. It's a whole other conversation. But yeah. the medicine is not geared toward African-Americans or Hispanic-Americans. Yeah. They haven't done any research. So Ralph has been fighting this right now to get hospitals and doctors to agree to start testing black people, not as guinea pigs, uh, which was done years ago, but as people to find out a cure. And, and so I said, look, you know what? I'm just going to take it. I'm going to eat right and change my life so I'm not going to live on a pill that's not even designed for me. So the problem is deep and it's interwoven. Wow. And so, and only God can fix it. And yeah. God is fixing it. God is having companies and businesses turn. This has never happened in the history of, uh, history of America. And trust me, this is a move of God. And so we have to just sit and watch God move and be honest with God. Cry. You know, I had moments I was just in tears. I'm watching all this stuff. It's hurtful because it brings me back in the day when I was working at a Rosenwalk Tank Company. I was the only black in the office, and I was making drawings for the company. And I would go into the wood shop, and uh, this guy, Joseph Array, he would just say, get out of here, nigger, and was throwing wrenches at me, you know? Wow. And, uh, and so at the time, I had a fascination with guns, and I had a New York State handgun license, which he did not know. And so uh, I waited till he had his lunch break, and I said, "Hey, how you guys doing?" I said, "Well, first of all, these are my this is my my handgun license, and this is my rifle license because you had to get a separate license for both in New York City. And these are my guns, and I put I want them to work. Yeah, I did, I did it. And I told Joe privately, I said, "If you ever call me that name again, I'm going to kill you." Wow. And he stopped. Yeah, I did. I, 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 I've dealt with this stuff. I've dealt with dragons of the Ku Klux Klan. I've done. I've dealt with some stuff. It's very hurtful things. And so I'm looking at God. I'm saying, okay, God, you allow this. You're going to have to fix this. And I said, you know how I think. You're going to have to heal me and touch me and fix it for my life. Because look, just recently, um, I was dreaming like I normally do. I said, where am I going to live? Where can I buy a house where I'm not going to get beat up by the poorest of black folks and I'm not going to get a cross, burning cross in my yard by white folks? So me and my wife, a couple of weeks ago, we went driving, just a faith drive, and we drove down to Tyson's Corner, rich, rich neighborhood, and, and I'm driving down past uh, McLean Bible, and I'm hearing, and God spoke to me, says, they don't really want black people living in this area. He said that to me. Hmm. And I said, well, where can I live? And I heard, go to Upper Marlboro. So I turned a car and went from Tyson's Corner to Upper Marlboro, Maryland, by Six Flags and Evangel. And I'm seeing these incredible houses over here. I'm like, wow. Two days later, the owner, Chuck Levins, Alan Levin, says, hey, I want you to help this customer. And I'm talking to the customer. And we're having a conversation. And I, the conversation kind of just went beyond music to life. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm just trying to find a place to live where I won't get killed by the poor as the blacks, you know, killing each other. And I don't want to get beat up or jumped by wife. And he said, son, you need to live in Upper Marlboro. I said, really? I said, where? He says, well, you know where the Six Flags is? And, and I said, I was just over there. He says, that's what he said, son, you just passed my house. Fast forward. This shows you faith. This is faith and work. So what happened is um, uh, we he bought a keyboard and 
something happened where because we know through the pandemic we're doing the Shopify thing, right? And so someone never closed out the sale, so someone shipped him the same thing again to his house. We got everything twice. He calls me and says, Ed, I got another package. I said, what happened? I said, oh, my God, they, they didn't close it. I'm sorry. So he drives to the store. I finally meet him face-to-face. I shake things. I shake his hand. And um, he's driving home. And he calls me on his way home and says, my son just said I got another package. I said, sir, this is an older man and his wife. They're like in the 70s. I said, don't drive, sir. Just keep that thing. He says, no, no, I don't want it. I'll bring it back. I said, sir, don't drive. I'll go to your house, and I'll pick it up. So after work. Now, I'm just thinking, help the customer. I'm not thinking about the neighborhood. I'm just, I didn't want the guy to drive uh, 50 miles to come back to the store. So yeah. I drive wow. to his house and I get to his house and I'm like, wow, I drove right past his house. And he comes outside. We all met wearing the masks. And I said, so just throw it out the window. He says, no, no, son, come on inside. I want you to see what you're going to have. And I'm wow. Like, I go inside. He walks me through his whole house. Five, six bedrooms, two car garage, everything's set up, and I'm in. I'm like, I'm not trying to hold back tears. And his wife is waving at me on the top stairs. She says, "Yeah, I got an office up here too, and mine is bigger than his." And I'm sitting here like, "Wow!" It's like he said, "This is the reverse of the uh, gentrification back here." He says, "We're taking over areas. We have million dollar millionaires who live over here, doctors and senators here." He said, "Son, come live here." This is the area where you need to be. You have nothing to be to be afraid of here. And all was because I went in faith with my wife. I went in faith, and I was driving in the wrong direction. And God said, no, go someplace else. And he confirmed it by having me actually see a, meet a customer. And, and so now I know where God wants me to live. Yeah. And so now I'm just waiting on the, the money and, or however God's going to do it for it to happen and it's going to happen because why would he have me go through all that for nothing yeah you know what I'm so this is what i'm saying for race is that god loves us he want. he told me that i'll give you whatever you want there's nothing there's nothing i will what the bible says there's no good thing i withhold from you so all the things that you thought you couldn't have because you were black eliminate them I have one of the most incredible recording shoes. You see the guitars in the back. I didn't pay a dime for this stuff. I got I got stuff that I haven't even touched. I am blessed beyond measure. I got new stuff coming in the mail, and I'm getting ready to get more because we're getting ready to move to our new house. I don't know when. I got boxes already packed in the, in the other <laughs> room there. Faith without works is dead. Yes. And I'm planning my life. Now, another thing is there's a there's a scripture that says, whom the sun set free is free indeed. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I'm so sorry to cut you off. It's so funny because Kanye literally just quoted that in one of the, in one of his songs in his new album. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's the reason why I know that verse. That's good. Which is is great. I I asked, I asked my pastor years, uh, about a year ago, I said, what does free look like? Mm, Come on. And he couldn't answer. He said, oh, free looks like brother Jimmy. And I said, he's not free. So I asked God, I said, what does free look like? Because I, I don't know what free looks like. What is it like to be free? Free in my mind. Free to go wherever I want to go, do what I want. And so God says, we're going to go on a journey. So he allowed me to go to Italy uh, free. Then he allowed me to see another life out there. Then he allowed me to see there's a whole different world in Christ where yeah. you're free. Wow. In, the, in the midst of hell. In the mm-hmm. midst of hell. But you're free 
whatever you want, you can have. Whatever you need is there. Um, and whatever you desire, he will give you. And it, again, it's not always tangible things. Yeah. It's it's a freedom in Christ. While Jesus walked to earth, he could do whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. He didn't have any restrictions except for the ones that were assigned to him by for his assignment. There's a freedom that we don't know because we never learned what it's like to be free. What it's like to be debt free. Imagine having money, a money in the bank account that you don't need to buy a bill, spend a bill with. You just have disposable income. What would you buy? Where would you go? What kind of friends would you have? What if what if you you don't have to work a nine to five? Who told you that nine to five is is the right way? Who told you that you have to work till you're 70? Who set those laws and principles? We need to revisit things in God. So what's God, what is your plan for my life? Come what on. did you say? I'm not going to follow this America because they say I have to retire at 70. I declare I'm going to retire at 55 or 56 or whenever. I'm going to retire young. I can enjoy life. And, and, and even though it sounds crazy, but that's godly mindset. When you think godly, you think differently. And so I declared some things. So I'm, I'm looking forward to my retirement. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen at 70. It's going to happen sooner because I'm going to enjoy my life. And my assignment at Chuck Levin's is to, to make them money, but to preach the gospel, which I do. At that point, God's going to say time is up and move on to something else. So what I'm trying to say about racism, we have to understand that God is still in control. As much as it looks like he's not, God is moving for us. And this is a tremendous movement in America on our behalf. Did you see what happened at NASCAR? That NASCAR, it was all racist. I used to love NASCAR. For what they did, that's the, that shows you that God is moving. And what did they do again? Well, um, they the band, the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag oh, is a right. representation uh, of slavery. That's right. NASCAR is all rednecks. There's only one black guy in NASCAR. <laughs> and uh, just recently, someone put a noose out there to try to intimidate him. And NASCAR said, that when we find you, you will be banned from life, for life. And and just yesterday, all the NASCAR players, uh, racers, pushed uh, Bubba Wallace's car to the front. Wow. Uh, and show of unity. And wow. It brought tears to my eyes. It brought tears to my eyes because that's one of the most racist symbols of america nascar wow they're completely turned and i'm like how can god shake god is amazing he can take yeah. some of the most racist organizations and turn it in one instant there's nothing he can't do we need to be celebrating finding other things god turn this if you could turn nascar then Come you could on. turn you could turn my boss around because he's i didn't get a raise you know i haven't gotten raises in, in years and start Dreaming, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is lovely. Spend your mind on good things. Stop thinking about negative things. God is moving in our behalf. Ed, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, any last words, Ed, that, that you may have for, for the listeners that can encourage them, that can you know get them closer to God? Um, just spend time reading the Bible and spend time talking to God. Um, there's nothing wrong with putting a chair up in a room. I, like I've done this. I have two chairs and I'll sit down in the chair and say, hey, God, have a seat and I have some paper and I'll just start writing things. I say, well, why did you do this? Or I'm upset with this. Be honest with God about everything. Tell him how you feel. There are things you can tell God you can't tell a friend. You can be completely transparent with God and just be honest. Yeah. Pour a soul to God. And what's your dreams? What's your, what's your, what are your expectations of him? 
you know, uh, um, just be honest and tell him everything. And we were told that you couldn't question God, and we were told all this nonsense. You can talk to God. He's he's he is your father. Okay, he's yeah. your good father, and he wants to communicate with you as a your son or daughter. Communicate him, call him, talk to him. Hang on a second. I, uh, I got to get this call. Hang on a second. But the, the call him and talk to him and let him speak to you in Jesus' name. 